In the South, it's always college football season. And the king of college football reigns supreme all year long. Southern Sports Today proudly presents the Chuck Oliver Show. It's an inside look at everything college football. Now live from Atlanta, Georgia, it's time to talk college football with the reigning king of college football, Chuck Oliver, on Southern Sports Today. It's the main event for the entire college football season so far. And there is one conversation missing. Chuck Oliver Show on a Wednesday. I am glad that we are all here together for a couple hours. Uh, if, if you're watching on Twitch TV, I might even be putting on my sweater and changing shoes right now. I'm, I'm glad you've come in, neighbor. Uh, let's hang out and talk college football. I said that there's there, the biggest game the entire season is Saturday, and that's Alabama and Georgia. And obviously, it's the biggest game because it involves the number one team. Doesn't involve the number two team anymore, but... But it involves the number one team, and it involves Nick Saban's Alabama, and they're the best program in the history of the game. And I'm saying the space they live in right now and have for what year is it? 2021, decade and a few years, couple decade and a couple years. The space they have lived in for more than a decade now. Not only on the length since 1869 when the game first started is Alabama the most achieved program? And I'm just talking the real stuff, not the stuff that the SID made up in 1980 or 81 or whenever he did it. I'm talking like the actual achievements. It, it, they got the belt, all right? And right now, Alabama is at its great – like Wake Forest right now may be at its greatest ever, and I don't know that. I'm giving you an example. Alabama is at its greatest point in Alabama's history. So, yeah, Saturday's game, main event. And there's a conversation that is missing right now. We are supposed to be obsessing about Adam Anderson missing the game Saturday. And I asked Dan before, Dan Matthews, producer, I asked him before the show, I was like, have you heard any update on Adam Anderson? He's like, oh, no. And we talked a little bit, and I was like, Dan, I haven't heard that kid's name, not once, in at least a week. And it's not because of newfound sensitivity to rape allegations. It's not. If Adam Anderson played on a team without the best defense I've seen since, I'll say, probably 1986, it would be the biggest story every interested party would be obsessing about. That's not true, Chuck. Man, Now, I'm going to give you a recent example, and maybe it has changed. I mean, so much over the past year and a half, it's changed. There are things I feel way differently about however college football deep south a title game and rape allegations folks the pursuit of charges against Jameis Winston do we remember the month between the end of the regular season and championship Saturday and that game Auburn and Florida State played in a Rose Bowl do we remember that month the pursuit of charges against Jameis Winston absolutely was the number one story leading up to the national championship game in 2014. And there are plenty of other examples. I just wanted to use Southern college football titles on the line. This time is different. And it's 100% different because we're viewing through a football-only lens. I promise we are, folks. And somehow... 
I think this is I think this is a truthful statement. Losing Adam Anderson has been imperceptible. It didn't ha- Dan, is there any difference in the Georgia defense without Adam? And again, I am p- not being insensitive, folks. I'm saying for the purpose of this football-only show, we're looking at this through a football-only lens. Dan, have you seen any difference in the past month in the Georgia defense? Because I have not. Football-wise, absolutely not. I, it's imperceptible. Folks, he's the best pass rusher on the best defense. It didn't happen. Him leaving the team, it didn't happen. That's the level of talent and depth and everything else as far as on-field production. Now, there have been conversations about this, and it took place a few weeks ago, but conversation about And this is the one where I don't know if the kid didn't check the calendar or what, but I think I have told my own story of being arrested. Um, I, I got to spend like six hours um, in jail one day. And it wasn't, I was 22, had not been drinking. I got arrested for underage drinking. It's I, whatever. So I spent about six hours in jail, not prison, jail. And that was enough for me. Signed a property bond. I got out. So, and then the judge says, oh yeah, you're 22 and you had, yeah, okay, dismissed. So, but I had six hours on the wrong side of the bars. But I knew I was about to get out. It was just when the person would stamp the paper and then hand it over to the other person, and then then we'd staple it, and then I would give her, you know, $43, and I would leave. I knew the process was happening. Conversation a couple of weeks ago about the best pass rusher on the best defense was he turned himself in on a Thursday. Do you know what I was expecting? Friday morning, I don't know, 10 a.m., 11 a.m. See, I would have done the same thing if I was 20. But if I had a, an attorney... I didn't have an attorney, by the way. I Again, I knew I was like, dude, you're getting out. Just hang on. We'll file the paperwork. It'll take a couple hours. I was like, all right. Adam Anderson turned himself in on a Thursday. Do you all remember the, the story? He wasn't getting out till the following Wednesday when the bond hearing was going to happen. I'm like, well, turn yourself in on Tuesday. And I said from the perspective of Adam Anderson, I can't imagine being 20 years old and going to jail and then not like I'm not getting out. Oh, I'm not getting out for six days? Conversely, and this is a very real possibility, and I have to say that because I wasn't, I can't say, you know, Adam Anderson railroaded. I don't, I have no idea. And I'm talking about from Adam Anderson's perspective, like, have we acknowledged maybe across campus? There's a girl who hadn't slept in a month. There's a girl who tries to take a shower just to start her day, and she winds up on the floor crying. I mean, I, there's, there's another, potentially, there is a person across campus having a much more difficult existence than, mm, I had to spend a couple of nights in county. So that's a conversation that we're not having either. And I promise you, if, if Adam Anderson was just part of a normal human defense, a, a, a human being great. He's part of an alien defense. If he were just part of a defense populated by carbon-based 98.6 degree life forms, all right, like regular human beings, that would be the conversation. I guarantee you. I ain't heard his name. You ain't heard his name. No, it hadn't been a conversation, and it's not going to be. 
And it's because we are all looking at this through the football-only lens. And as far as on-field production, folks, it, it never happened. To the Chuck Oliver Show on Southern Sports Today. I said all my career that to win SEC championships is almost just as hard because the years that I spent in Alabama, you could say that winning the SEC championship was just as hard as trying to win a, a national championship, and, and it's one of our goals. You know, we want to put it on this wall in here, and to do that, you got to win the SEC, and uh, that's what we're focused on. One of the things I always loved about Steve Spurrier is, do you realize how often he was ahead of everyone else? And Steve Spurrier, back when he was still at UF, so this would have been whenever, I don't know, early 90s, late 90s, sometime. Steve Spurrier, I remember him saying that the, the winning the Southeastern Conference Championship, that's the only one you can control. He said at that point, it's other people, whether it's other voters or other coaches or other players or other teams or other whoever, other networks, what's ESPN want? Steve Spurrier said the only thing we can actually control is the Southeastern Conference. So do you remember what Steve Spurrier's conversations would be about every single summer? Every single year, SEC media days, every single year at the outset of the season, it would be about being SEC champs. Now, if you were Florida at that point and you were going to be SEC champs, yeah, you're probably going to have maybe one loss. Maybe. Maybe not, but maybe one loss. And then there's that Florida State thing waiting at the end of the season. But he said, all I can control is SEC championship. That's kind of what Kirby was saying there. And in a different sort of manner, though, I think Kirby, what I'm hearing there, same sentiment, but from the standpoint of, and it's wise to concentrate on this. It is so difficult to win this championship, and it is basically a precursor. It's the play-in game to the playoffs, at least in the 14 playoff. That's essentially what it is. And and Kirby saying it's so hard to win this. And it really does it does come before the national championship. So he's just talking about how uh, unbelievably difficult it is and has been um, to, to, to win at that level. Chuck Oliver Show continues on a, a Wednesday. Um and I got to say, if you want to know, because obviously so much is going on right now with coaching changes and the biggest stories out there are, well, uh, who are the coordinators that are going to go with the new coach and the new head coach in his new locale? Who are the coordinators that may stay behind and try to get the full, uh, full-time head job instead of just interim? If, if you are somehow locked into this, if you're, a, if you're a Bama fan, you're locked into it. You are well, losing our head coach. Yeah, okay, you don't have to have a head coach opening or the risk of losing your head coach for you to be in this. Alabama fans, you're in this coaching search right now because of the staff. Georgia fans, we're not losing Kirby. No, you might lose Dan Lanning. I don't know that. I'm just saying that's kind of that's the playbook. If you want to know where your program ranks among coaching candidates, Ask yourself the same question the coaching candidates ask. What's 11-1 and one get me? Without a conference title, I'm saying. 
what does finishing your season at that school, what does finishing your season 11 and 1 get you? There are only three outcomes. For a Power 5 team to finish 11 and 1, Group of 5, it's not a conversation at that point. Because Group of 5, you're not comparing to a Power 5 job in almost any case. Now, Billy Napier did, but he wasn't comparing Louisiana to Mississippi State or South Carolina. He was comparing a job better than Mississippi State and better than South Carolina. It could have been any job. So he wasn't saying Louisiana's a better job than those. I'd rather be Louisiana coach. No, no, no. He was saying I would rather be Louisiana coach one more year until a job better than either of those opens. And he was right about that. So if you're wondering exactly, so everybody is involved right now. Either you have a really good coach who a bigger fish may want, you don't have a head coach right now, or you've got coaching stability. Yeah, well, what about the staff? Because dudes don't like being wide receiver coaches forever. There are only three outcomes. Without a conference title, what does finishing 11-1 get you? Does it get you an at-large bid in a 14 playoff? Because there are about, I don't know, three or four or five programs maybe that could do that. Out of all of Division One, but certainly Power Five, there are about four maybe. So the first one is, if I finish 11-1 and one and don't have a conference championship, do I get to go to the playoffs? And the answer for almost everybody is no, but there's a very small top tier. Second tier, 11-1, and one, no conference championship. If we don't get an at-large bid in the 14 playoff, how about the program's first Sugar Bowl since 1970? And that's attainable. All right, we're going to put you in the rotation bowls. The lowest you would drop at 11-1, Power 5 team, 11-1, no conference championship, Bloomin' Onions, New Year's Eve. There is not a Power 5 team that would, wouldn't at least get to Tampa or the equivalent. You would not fall below that. And every program needing a coach right now or fearful, fearful you may lose yours to a program that does, you know exactly which option your program would have of the only three available Virginia Tech fans they know if we went 11 and 1 and didn't and the only loss we had was to North Carolina and they won the the division so we didn't get to play in Charlotte Virginia Tech fans they would tell you "Mm, we're a rotation bowl we're not good enough to any not anymore to get the at-large bid but we'd be a rotation bowl Syracuse at 11 and 1 and their only loss was to NC State or whoever wins the Atlantic, Syracuse 11 and 1, Tampa. That's the lowest rung. So if your school is either looking for a coach or you're afraid yours may be plucked, fine. And you know the answer. You know exactly where on that scale your school falls, and it shows you the pecking order. And so that's why when I say all the time, Hi, we're here for your coach. Folks, LSU just did that to Notre Dame. (laughs) Notre Dame. And Brian Kelly really is Catholic. That'll play well in Baton Rouge, down in Louisiana. Absolutely it will. Oh, big time. So, does you think he knows Jackson Square? If he doesn't, he can very easily find it, yes. My goodness. He he will have ashes on his forehead on Ash Wednesday. And everybody says Cafe Dumont, and it is fine. Stanley's on the other corner. 
That's where you really want to go. What up, Dan? Everybody knows that. Don't go to the tourist traps. Although sometimes, hey, tourist traps are A okay. A bag of beignets as you walk away with them, you can be cool with them because nobody knows that you went to the tourist trap. Here's a little secret with beignets that it's kind of the same thing that I have always subscribed to with Whataburger, which I found out that Jerry Jones likes the same thing. A little bit of sweat goes a long way. Like, let it sit in the bag for a little bit, and then you get it even better where it is just almost truly a melt-in-your-mouth I, I kind, uh, kind of feeling. I do that with my Chick-fil-A sandwich. Uh-huh. Now, you're going to eat the fries first anyway, but in sure. that foil bag, it almost it's almost like a prime rib. Like, yeah. it steams it almost. Yeah. So, yeah, I just compared fast food chicken sandwich to prime rib. Go ahead. Pretty now. much becomes a fried chicken dumpling. I mean, I don't think there's any doubt about that. Um, Oklahoma's got to be really careful, and I would actually maintain that this is going to be Joe Castiglione's most important hire that he's ever made, because the goal now is going to be build off what you have just done. I'll give you a good example. Mark Richt was fired a few years ago, and at his press conference, Bill, um, uh, excuse me, um, uh, Vince Dooley was there, and we all caught up with Vince Dooley, and the question was asked, you know, Vince, you hired Mark. What would you look look for in his replacement he looked at the guy and said I'd say Mark Richt is a good place to start meaning go where you're going with what you've just had and build off that going forward the deal with Oklahoma right now is they found out they're good enough they need to find a way to be great enough and that is what Joe Castiglione is going to have to try to find here I know that Brent Venables is out there because I think that there is a yearning within Sooner Nation to be able to get back to a little bit of that hard-nosed physical brand of football that maybe he could bring but All in all, the goal is going to have to be take it forward. Yeah, get the defensive head coach, reboot with the young offensive coordinator. It'll be just like Stoops and Lincoln Riley, and off we go, Center Nation. The king of college football, no matter where you go, with a new Southern Sports Today app. Catch the best college football conversation in the South everywhere with the SST live stream and daily podcast. Downloaded now at the App Store and the Google Play Store. Now more of the best college football talk in the country. It's the Chuck Oliver Show. Every spring game, all the spring practices are over. You hadn't even had spring meetings in Destin and Hilton Head and wherever. Could be the middle of May, and there's always great reason to go to LandryFootball.com. Folks, it's the beginning of December, and for instance, yesterday, if you went to LandryFootball.com, SEC football and beyond, how LSU landed Brian Kelly, how Billy Napier won over the Gators, folks. It is literally boots on the beach telling you the firsthand information of how this stuff unfolds. Um, well, that's what you get when you got 40-plus years of connections. Want to welcome on now, namesake of LandryFootball.com. It is Chris Landry. Chris, how are you today? Busy, but good always being with you. Yeah, I appreciate you coming on. Talk a little bit about, um, and again, everybody can go to LandryFootball.com if you got your subscription. Um, but let's jump into it. How did LSU land Brian Kelly uh, in addition to the $95 million and all the canes he can eat? Well, and yeah, you, you're right, and I appreciate you mentioning it. In addition to the SEC football and beyond, I've got a detailed pulse that goes into more detail than I can go here about how this played out. But the short abridged version is, look, this has been – the Lincoln Riley to USC has been taking place for a few weeks now. Uh, that's been uh, the undercurrent. And the same agent that represents Lincoln Riley, Trace Armstrong, is the same one that represents Brian Kelly. Uh, he also represents uh, LSU Athletic Director Scott Woodward. Um, so 
there's while you don't know everything, you have an idea. And knowing Trace and being a little bit involved in some of the periphery, I can tell you that the Lincoln to USC stuff was going on. So there's no way that Scott Woodward didn't have a strong indication at least a couple of weeks ago that Lincoln Riley wasn't a go. So whether he wanted him or didn't want him or what they're going to say or that he's known that he knows that because I know it came across his desk as it came across mine. And uh, I certainly made sure that he knew about it. And so this getting caught off guard didn't happen. If it did happen, it was caught off guard a couple of weeks ago. So the Brian Kelly situation with LSU has been percolating for a while as well, probably along the same timeline once the Lincoln-Riley situation was not a go, if indeed that's who they wanted, and that can be debated. Uh, the Brian Kelly situation was one, and, and I full disclosure, I may have mentioned this on this show. I know I did it with on Dan and I's SEC show that I talked with Brian. I was asked to talk with Brian. I know Brian very well. He This was a while back, like in October. Mm-hmm. He wasn't interested. I mean, he just he wasn't interested. So I certainly didn't have any luck in getting him like interested in leaving Notre Dame. Now, obviously, there's always some maybe level of interest, but, you know, talking with him because he knows and, you know, with my relationship with him, also the people there know that I know LSU intimately and Mm -hmm. what it could mean and all of that. And he just never really was something I didn't have a whole lot of success in getting him interested. Of course, I didn't have the checkbook that Scott would ask and, and the ability to do that. I'm, I'm, so I give Scott a lot of credit for selling him on the idea. I do think that Brian, despite the fact that he didn't show a lot of interest with me, I, I have felt like, or at least I have intimated and have said, and we've talked about Brian, how great would it be to go to USC, go to a place, not any, but just where you can recruit anybody and you can do things that I think there's a glass ceiling here at Notre Dame. And yeah, you know, I mean, I, I, I think that, is something that's always been there. He hasn't really expressed that, but I do believe that is a big part of, Hey, look, this is what we're going to sell you here at LSU and an athletic director and a president that shows up and says, here, we are aligned. This is what we're going to do. You're it. You will make all the decisions. You're the CEO. You're the GM. You're whatever at LSU, at Notre Dame, he has played the good role. I've known Brian since he's been at Grand Valley. He recruited like he needed to recruit there. At Cincinnati, he had to go get some of the renegade guys back in the – he did that. He goes to Notre Dame, and, yes, he's played with the – okay, you might be able to get a, an exception here or there, but it went through a lot of hoops. Uh, you had discipline problems on the program when you did. It had to go through a certain protocol universally, administratively. He did those things and, and and was fine with it. But now imagine, Brian, this is the selling point, that imagine coming in, you don't have any restrictions. There's nobody. There's some issues at LSU, compliance. That's going to be cleaned up. Brian will be able to do what he wants, how he wants, where he wants. He's going to get the Nick Saban treatment at LSU where he can do whatever, whereas with Ed, they had to kind of, hold his hand, watch it through the door with less debt to make sure he didn't go off the reservation. With Brian, he's going to be able to do whatever he wants. That's something that he hadn't had. And, oh, yeah, we're going to throw all this money at you. That's, you know, 
a, a given, but this is what I think appealed to him. And there are no restrictions towards the path to the title. There's a unified vision. And that's something that, you know, I don't think happened. And I think that's why we had a little bit of that little terse um, comments from Jack Swarbrick, because you know, he will, he's now spending time trying to say, we are, you have never been more, you know, uh, committed to this because I think that things just operate a little differently from school to school. Notre Dame is just a little bit unique and it was all a positive for Brian, but yet, you know, I think he was convinced that, Hey, what if we could change your life with this? Remember when the Lakers, tried to bring Coach Mike Krzyzewski and they said, yeah. he said, give us 20 minutes and we'll change your life. And Krzyzewski says, what if I don't want to change my life? I think with Brian, I think he was open to, okay, I'll listen. And when he listened, then you usually, at least with Scott Woodward, my experience is he, he finds a way to, to close the deal and make the sale. And he did it, and he, yeah, had, he had all the university support to do that and all the money support to do that. There's there's always a reason you listen to. I mean, you know, uh, no, nobody nobody ever played strip poker because they wanted to keep their clothes on. You know? Look, I'm going to tell you, I'll give you a quick little story for folks. So I'm trying to get Nick Saban to consider the LSU job, and he doesn't want to listen. And, I mean, because he knows, yeah, you're, I, I know you, I love you, but you're an LSU guy. You're, why are all those coaches having trouble? Why are they all getting fired? And the best thing I ever did is I got one of my mentors, Bill Orangebarger. Oh, wow. Nick, yeah. Nick doesn't, didn't know Bill Orangebarger, and Bill didn't know Nick from a hole in the wall. Bill Orangebarger says, I'll handle it. And, and Richard Gill was, God rest his soul, was the chief money guy then. Bill Orangebarger got on the phone and he did what I couldn't do. And that was, he told Nick, what Nick told me was that LSU was the best job he ever had in his life. Now he wasn't, he was a briefly a head coach with the giants and he was, uh, you know, worked for Don Shula and did all, but, but the LSU is the best place I've ever, it's what he told him. And, and that, because that became what what he can you know was he was retired at that point that made him listen and then then of course then it became making sure that the powers that be at LSU were gonna he was really interested and that's when the wheel started to turn that Nick would at least consider it and and that's because I had recommended Nick for the job back when they hired Donardo and they didn't want him then they weren't spending money then they they actually hired Pat Sullivan from oh, TCU yeah. and. They, they they got into a, a you-know-what contest over the $750,000 buyout. Let, let, let that sink yep. in, folks, with all the money today. And that. So anyway, that's, you know, how it played out. And, and uh, a guy that's, you know, I, we'll, we'll see only time will tell how well he'll be successful. Like recruiting classes, like draft choices, coaching hires, we're going to find out a few years from now. They all look great now. They are, everybody loves it now. It's going to be about how it plays out down the road. I don't care what search it is, Billy, with, with, with Florida, what have you. We'll see. Give me the quick answer here because it's funny you yes. mentioned Arnsberger. On Monday I mentioned uh, that when Bill Belichick has talked about as like the inventor of the zone blitz, I was like, no, that's Dick LeBeau. Uh, it was either LeBeau or Arnsberger. Did I disrespect Bill Arnsberger by giving credit elsewhere? For the zone blitz? 
No, uh, LeBeau was the first one of the zone blitz. Bill was the first run that really invented the 3-4 defense. I mean, there were other people that played it, but the principle of the two-gap front, yeah. and it was because, in you know, he had uh, the – and it wasn't what people think, three down linemen, four linebackers, although that works. It was the, the linebacker. Uh, that that he had to play down yeah. as a as a as a yeah. as a edge rusher, as a stand up rusher. So he he was the first we ever saw run the three four defense in its current principled form. Although uh, because most people win that 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 fifty front, which is a little bit different schematically. Oh yeah, until Tom Landry backed the nose guard off and made him a middle linebacker, and then it turned into a four three. Yeah, he ran oh, a four three. Ran the flex defense, which is yeah, he ran the four three. The flex, uh, absolutely. Back back uh, back way in the day, really, he did that with the Giants. In fact, uh, Sam Huff was the 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 who died recently a couple of weeks ago yeah. was the main reason yep. why he f- switched to that defense i tweeted that out that um you know a little bit a little bit of schematic history tom landry was brilliant ahead oh. of his time called called every defensive play called every offensive play called every st- uh, special teams call and made every draft pick for the Cowboys and invented every things one of them now, that are yeah. still in every NFL game you watch yeah. every single right. he, like now, and, yeah. and by the way, if you're a genius, you're a genius. If if I'm if I'm mentioning Tom Landry and I'm, it's like I'm talking about Abraham Lincoln, anybody listening, go Wikipedia. Just just surface level, Tom. He was like a 24 year old defensive back with the Giants back in the day, and basically started coaching the defense. Um, yeah, and if and if you listen to Gil Brandt, uh, you'll believe that Gil made all the picks. It was. <laughs> It and was, that computer, uh, it, it, Gil yeah, and his yeah, computer. Yeah, yeah. Gil, Gil went out for coffee. Tom Landry made all the all the details uh, decisions there. All right, we're going to take a quick break, come back, uh, talk a little UF, some other coaching openings uh, with Chris Landry, LandryFootball.com. More college football talk with the king of college football. It's the Chuck Oliver Show on Southern Sports Today. LandryFootball.com, that is the website you need to go to. Uh, and that's who we're talking to right now. He's been a coach, a scout, an administrator, just about anything you can do with a college program or a professional franchise. Chris has done it. He's got the hardware to prove it. Chris, uh, tell people real quickly, if they're like me and they go to LandryFootball.com and click on the 50% off sale, join right now. Uh, when they become members, what do they get? Film room breakdowns of the games coming up, the games that have been played, recruiting information, draft information, uh, notebook information of what's going on uh, around the country in, the, in a college football notebook, NFL, uh, the coaching search information, the inside what happened, obviously providing some of the intel through some of the coaching search stuff that I can do. A, a little can be a little bit more uh, evolved and informative after the fact of tying it all together, but can drop enough hints to, I think, get folks into a feel for what's coming up. For example, I'm getting ready to work on something. I'll probably tweet it out at Landry Football. Marcus Freeman's options, the, the great you know the defense coordinator um, right now at Notre Dame, and what are his options, the head coach at Notre Dame, if offered. 
um, you know, maybe the head coach at Cincinnati, uh, or be a defense coordinator, highest paid defense coordinator, highest paid assistant in the country as defense coordinator at LSU, Ohio State. You know, things like that will, will take you behind the scenes to get you the information and the analysis that uh, we think is unique because of what we do and the background that we have. All right. Well, let's talk uh, more coaching changes. Uh, how did uh, f- why did Florida decide to cast its net uh, in Louisiana Lafayette uh, for Billy Napier, and why were they able to land him? Um, just go through that whole process. Yeah. Look, I mean, Scott Strickland is deserves a lot of credit. I think a lot of these guys, I think, in in the days of looking at athletic directors that have bumbled things, uh, Scott handled things the way he needed to handle it at, at, at LSU. Mike Bone, I thought, obviously was was really doing a good job getting things squared away at USC. Could you imagine, all due respect, Pat Hayden or Lin Swan getting that done? No, uh, I don't no. think so. Uh, but, you know, Scott de- deserves a lot of credit. So when Dan was still the head coach, he began to work on what if. Back in the time when we were discussing, okay, look, they've got a chance to go eight and four and it might work. And remember we were just saying, but I'm not sure if it, if things go haywire, I, it, it, cause we were all, a lot of people were saying, well, Dan's going to be back, but you know, what coordinator chant? Well, let's see how it finishes. Scott was along those lines. If it finished well and they had the right answers, they could move on. If it wasn't got to be prepared. He began to do his homework, and he narrowed in pretty quickly on Billy Napier. Um, he uh, he met with him at his home, and this is a complete irony. My godchild, my brother's uh, son, mm-hmm. is next is next door neighbors to Billy Napier. <laughs> so I mean, it, and actually, he came with his wife and and his little boy came visit me last Wednesday before Thanksgiving. Anyway, it's just ironic because he was Scott was there the day before with with billy but but anyway you know not that jonathan knew anything or said anything i just thought that was just ironic as we were talking he's asking me i'm saying here's the next door neighbor look out the window man yeah look out the window exactly he he sold them on the staff he could put together the the real key was tireless recruiter listen closely folks tireless recruiter He's taken the same concept that we had in Cleveland that that Nick Saban built, the critical factors of how you evaluate players. He's learned that. He certainly had his experience at Clemson. He was a tireless, a great bulldogish recruiter as an assistant, and he he's very organized and he hires well on his staff, and the staff members really like working with him. All of the things, what do we always say about coaching hires? It's usually the opposite of what you had. Yeah, you, you got got a lot of loose players love them. Let players coach Chuck and then at the work get a disciplinarian guy. What do you have? You have a guy that is a again, tireless recruiter, organized recruiter, and what did they have a problem with at Florida? They didn't work or as hard on recruiting and staff meetings and evaluation and who they, they kind of pushed it off to uh, what they call underlings because that, that wasn't important enough for his coaches to work on. That's completely different. And that's why he was able to sell them on that. And um, look, it may not be the most dynamic looking offense here, there, but he will hire oh, well uh, yeah. and he will do things differently because he is very organized. So they feel they've got a home run. And what's going to be interesting is since LSU had no interest in him, 
mainly because he was the ULL guy. We're going to get to see a matchup between LSU and Florida as we do every year, and we'll be evaluating that those hires by both of them on the recruiting trails, but more importantly on uh, Saturdays in the fall um, yeah. going forward. Yeah, Chris, I, I opine, and this is a – I mean, I'm being a little facetious here, but maybe just a little. Uh, if you are recruiting along the lines of Kirby, et cetera, I think you can can come out in 11 personnel and then run an even front all day and basically never blitz and I like literally every snap and you can win 10 games. If you have elite personnel, uh, run the I formation. Nobody even Absolutely. runs the I anymore and just and look, yes, be basic. And, and and they see him as their version of Kirby. I mean, you know, without the he went to school here, but Kirby is Harswell you know, dogged recruiter, and and the thing that he said that he told them is we're going to have to get what Florida has in terms of resources, in terms of staffing, in terms of facilities, which Florida has fallen behind, and I know they're working towards that, but that is the one variable that they lack, and they feel like they don't want to go into – that matchup to where they are the underdog every year from a personnel standpoint. That's got to change in the next three years. Uh, all right, Saturday, uh, this is the key to the game for me. Um, I think Bryce Young going to get beat up. I think he's going to get hit around, and he is their chance. I think he's the best quarterback in America. Um, but the one thing, even like a limited quarterback, I can coach around a limited quarterback. The only thing I can't coach around is an offensive line who who doesn't protect, and and that's the case here. Um, we got about a minute and a half. Give me your breakdown of of Georgia's pressure versus Bryce Young. Well, you can't go vertical if you can't protect. It yeah. doesn't matter about your speed of receivers or the arm of the quarter. You've got to protect. So how are you going to do it? You're going to put less guys on routes and max, max protect? Okay. Um, you want to go a lot of jumbo sets and short yardage established to run? Um, you want to go horizontally and attack the field. And that that's going to require Georgia to tackle well in space. And you're going to have to make a lot of plays, run after catch. It's a tough, tough matchup for them. It's, it is very unusual to be talking about. I don't know how Alabama is going to match up personnel-wise to figure out a way to get it done against Georgia. But that's what we're looking at right now. Can they get a lead? Can they create field position with their special teams? Can defensively they – create a couple of a couple of big plays look the one thing is georgia usually takes like the old alabama did about three and a half quarters to begin to 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 separate but you know so if it's a one possession game into the third quarter maybe you can make a big play but there's no question who the best team on film is going into this game they just got to figure out a way can we become the best team this saturday for one week that's the that's the mission we'll see if they can do it Chris, tell everybody again uh, how to get part of all this information you and I are talking about. It's only once a week for a couple of segments. What if they want it every single day? LandryFootball.com. Get all the podcasts like the SEC Football and Beyond with Dan Matthews and myself, as well as all the other podcasts, all the other polls, film room breakdowns, inside news and information, coaching searches. We got it all for you, LandryFootball.com. Watch the handsome Chuck Oliver on the Twitch channel. The link is right there. You got it all. So appreciate you as always, buddy. Chris, thank you so much. Uh, We will do it again in seven days. All right. Thank you, man. Take Uh, care. All right. LandryFootball.com is that website. It's the only thing I can't do anything about. Every And even a quarterback, like I said, a limited quarterback, if I'm having to go into, for instance, maybe it's just a Saturday in October, maybe it's a championship setting. 
if I have a, an extremely limited quarterback, I can still coach around that. And in the running game, maybe. If I can't protect, there's nothing I can do in the passing game. Um, and it starts to pay dividends for the defense even when they're not getting home, especially if they're early hits. So this is going to be just it's, – it's the matchup of the day for Saturday. It absolutely is.